Let's stand for the reading of God's word in Psalm number 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Aren't you thankful that's the kind of God we serve? See, that, that little phraseology you were reading off that screen, those were scriptural verses. God Almighty has come to us. God has come to earth. The scripture says one day even the trees of the forest are going to rejoice when the curse has been lifted off. All of creation, Leviathan, the great, the great sea mammals will surface to the top of the sea and lift their voices in thanksgiving. God has come, amen, for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Thank God. Joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. So, Father, thank you for truth and that which you planted in my heart and in my mind, coming out of my mouth, that it may it be actually what you want spoken and shared. So, therefore, these words should be pleasing in your sight because they're your truth. So, you are our strength. You are our God, and you are our Redeemer. Thank you for redeeming us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Say, I'm blessed with joy. Do you believe that? Some people have defaulted, even in the church, in only allowing themselves to feel joy when it stimulates the emotions of the natural man. This is a joy that's not within the realm of just our natural emotions. This is a joy that God has planted in us. It's his character, and that character includes joy. See, some people only think, well, I'll only be joyful and expressive if I get the promotion or if I get the bonus or if I get a new house. I'm only going to be joyful if everything makes me feel good. And of course, we all know that those emotions pass. Those kinds of feelings come and they go. That's why on Christmas morning, you may have some explosions of joy. But then a few days later, Christmas blues, right? In Psalm 32, it goes on to say, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And then it says interlude. And the Hebrew word for that is selah. And that means to pause and to reflect. And finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I, can, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. Calvary Christian Center, you are blessed with forgiveness. We are thankful for the forgiveness of Almighty God. And then he goes on in Psalm 51. David says, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved, you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. And then he says, Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, 
Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David knew what a tragedy that would be. He had witnessed his predecessor, Saul, lose the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. He says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. The message of Christmas, there's, there are several different themes that come out of the story, but at the core value of the message of Christmas, the angel said to those shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, God in flesh has come to bring you good tidings, good news, great joy, the restoration of joy. We need that once again. No doubt in the garden, Adam and Eve walked in the joy of the Lord till sin was found in them. And that joy has left the human race until restored by God himself through his son Jesus. In life, we see seasons every 12 months of, of, of different passing emotions, and spiritual application as well. In the winter, it's cold and tends to be barren. And there are spiritual winters that people experience, a season when you don't feel the warmth of his presence. It's a season when below-ground strength is being developed. Roots are going a little bit deeper and getting a little bit stronger. In the spring, everything begins to bud, And greenery is everywhere you look. And there's a freshness in the air. And the birds have a new song. And they're lighting up the skies early in the morning. It's the kind of a spiritual season when, as a pastor, I mean, I could be reading the comic strip and 12 people will get saved. It's a season of spiritual springtime. Then there's summer, a time when the heat begins to increase. Have you ever experienced the time when God's turned up the heat in your life and the heat is on and the pressure is being applied and it doesn't always feel comfortable? Then there's the fall season, a season when harvests arrive. The harvest is coming in. All the hard work is starting to pay off. It's a spiritual season as well of reflection on the goodness of the Lord and the provision of God. And David speaks of these seasons in life. He describes the hand of the Lord heavy upon him in life. Summer, where God turned up the heat on King David. And David said, I arrived in this place of heaviness, but I'm still a blessed man because my transgressions have been forgiven. There's a place in God where it doesn't matter what season we are facing. Many people allow circumstances to determine whether they're going to experience joy or not. It goes by emotion, by certain set of circumstances they're facing. The truth is, no matter the season, we are blessed. Just because things are not going right doesn't mean we're not blessed. Some think God is not pleased with them because things aren't going the way they want them to or the way they think they should go. You cannot allow circumstances to dictate how you think God feels about you. No, because it's beyond our ability to understand the consistency of love that God has for us 
in the good and the bad, in the fall, in the winter, in the spring, in the summer, God's love does not change toward his people. You have to arrive at a settled love relationship. You see, sometimes we we have forgotten this truth that in Galatians 5, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's an indicator that you have the Holy Spirit working deeply in your life and he is growing the character of Christ in you and the fruit of the Spirit, that's evidence that the character of Jesus is growing and developing and maturing into good fruit in your life because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as I look at this passage, I recognize I can rely on the character of God's love. It is consistent. It is faithful. It is changeless. He is the immutable God. He never changes. And I recognize now he wants to plant that same love and joy in my life that is a part of his character and let it produce his fruit in me. I'm blessed. Therefore, I'm blessed in the spring. I'm blessed in the summer, in the fall, and in the winter. I'm blessed. And it's all right, whether I have plenty or I have little, because my sins are forgiven. My transgressions are gone. David said, I have concluded that, and therefore nothing will destroy my victory in God. He said, I rejoice in the God of my salvation. No season I face will take my joy. And David speaks three words of significance in the Psalms, which I've quoted to you. He speaks of transgressions, of sins, and iniquities. Transgression, it's when you step over the line. You step over the known boundary. We've all seen no trespassing signs. There's a no trespassing sign, and you know that means there are limits. A transgression is when you walk past the known boundary line. You step over the no trespassing line. You know the light is red. You know the boundary. So when the officer pulls you over and says you just ran a red light, you've got no argument because you stepped over the boundary line. Anything further is a violation when you step past that line. And when you transgress, you go beyond the known limit that God has established. Sins, that means to miss the mark. You know what God wanted you to do, and you didn't do it. God has encouraged you to do that, to take that action, to step into this circumstance, and you said, "Mm, uh, sometime, not now. You've moved from transgressions where you go over the limit to sin, where you fall short and you don't quite get there. In the one, you've gone too far. In the other, you've fallen short. When we sin, we fall short. We miss the mark. We don't get there. Iniquity, that is to rebel against divine authority. You knew what you should do. God made it very clear. You know God's expectations. You know God's word on the matter. It's settled. You commit iniquity when you know what is right, yet you still go against what God says. David said, I transgressed. I sinned. I committed iniquity. I rebelled against God's divine authority. I ignored God's word. 
How many have committed transgressions, sins, and iniquities? Thank you. Really, all of us have. So next week, I'm going to preach about the liars of Yuba City. That'll be a good message. (laughs) I'll ask it again. How many are guilty of all three of these? That's a little better. That's good. Because you don't want to hear that message, okay? We are all trophies of God's mercy. We are all forgiven. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That's why Jesus and Christmas, they're intertwined and inseparable. God's great gift to you is his mercy and his kindness, not of works, lest any of us should boast. It's God who saved us, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the, th- the good things he planned for us long ago. So we'll never get to do all the purposes of God in our lives until we walk through the passageway of re- relationship, redemption, salvation, repentance, and forgiveness. And all of a sudden, all the purposes of God begin to open to us. We, have all, we all have to be covered by the wounds of Jesus. So don't act like you have no past, like you've always been good, like you don't remember where he found you, like in the story, The Wonderful Life, you have earned your angel's wings. <laughs> That's arrogance. We were lost, but then he found us. I didn't find the Lord. He found me. I was out there wandering astray. We have all gone past the limit. We have all fallen short. We have all rebelled against the standard of God. But we are all blessed and living with joy because we are forgiven. So David describes his experience of coming back to God's forgiveness. And aren't you grateful your past is forgiven and forgotten by God? David said, but once I'm forgiven, I didn't stop there. And once you pressed into your forgiveness... He encourages us to keep going and pressing. Forgiveness was not the only issue that David is speaking about in the passages I read to you. David said, you press in until you have a restoration of joy. May many never understand. You can receive forgiveness, but not regain your joy. When you've messed up badly, the enemy will eat you alive with guilt and for the rest of your life, make you feel like you're a second-class Christian. You can't enter in fully because we all know what your past is like. But notice what David said. I have stepped back into God's forgiveness, but I went even further than that. God restored my joy. Yes, guilty, but forgiven, and the joy is back. Guilty, but the joy has been restored. God has restored my life. Then that's the business of Almighty God. He isn't fully into restoration. But Satan plays the game for second best. He knows he can't stop you from praying or repenting and getting right with God. But his second best, see, he can't stop you from receiving forgiveness, but he'll lay a guilt trip on you and he'll keep you from the restoration of your joy. And sometimes I can see it on the faces of people. Even though God's done such great things for them, 
They look like the, the devil's gotten the last lick in on them. There are many Christians who have never entered the depth of God's mercy, nor experienced the power of God's grace. I'm thankful for the grace of God. I said, I'm thankful for the grace of God. Amen. I was listening to this preacher singing this song the other day, and he, and he says in it, he said, how did I make it all these years? How did I make it this far? How did I make it through the storm? And how did I make it through the rain? I want you to know just how I got here. It's so easy to explain. It was God's grace. God's grace. Amen. The power of God's grace. They are forgiven. They're on their way to heaven. They're going to make it, but they think they have to pay for what they did by walking under condemnation for the rest of their lives. This doesn't mean when you've been forgiven and God's restored your joy, it doesn't mean you ignore the predisposition to sinning a certain way. It doesn't mean that you ignore the fact and you go back to an environment and, and then you stick yourself into a situation where you're being tested beyond your means and you're going to walk away unscathed. No, you avoid those traps. You stay out of the way of where the enemy laid the trap. But according to the word, you can have your joy restored besides receiving forgiveness. And that should bring your joy back that you are forgiven. And God, listen to me. He said this, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake. I choose to do it. Not because of you in that you're good, but because I'm good. Listen, for my own sake, I choose to blot out your sins and will never think of them again. He wipes it away. So you can smile again, laugh again, look forward again. The plans he has for your future are good and not evil. You can believe this, even your mistakes he will use for his purposes in your life. And all you have to do to understand how importantly valuable he feels your eternal soul is to him is that he came himself in human flesh. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate that truth that he actually put on a human form, human suit, and came among us to be one of us to express to us his amazing love and the value we still have for, to him in his heart. It says it this way, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So God has a plan. He wants to execute it in your life. God will take the mess you created and then turn it for good purposes. You get beyond forgiveness and you begin to embrace joy. This, this stuff that happened in my life, the choices I made that were wrong, listen, uh, it's distinguished me. It, it's changed me. It's absolutely turned the direction of my life from evil to good, from hell to heaven. It's given me an option to go on and live my life pleasing to God. I was under great condemnation. I was under the burden and the guilt of my sin. And I've gotten now beyond the forgiveness into the embracing of joy. This is the message of Christmas. This is what we need to share today.
We were under the burden of sin. We had no remedy. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, Christmas, and we recognized the God's value he's placed on us. You see, the prodigal son was instantly forgiven a robe, new shoes, a signet ring. It meant he was no longer a slave. You see, slaves in that day went barefoot, or at best, maybe sandals. But the sons of the landowners, they wore shoes. And he was restored as a son, not less than what you were before you left. The father took him back. The father restored him fully. He was forgiven. It's a picture of what God's doing for us. He didn't get his joy back, however, until he journeyed into his father's house and became a part of the whole house. There was a party that was planned. There was dancing and singing and eating and rejoicing. There the son received his joy back again. Thank God we're forgiven. And there's a party and there's joy in our lives. Now, just remember, because Jesus made it clear, and it's not by accident that he put this in there, there's always going to be one at the party that doesn't like it that you're so excited and full of joy about the Lord. There's always going to be the older brother there who gets ticked off and pay no attention to them. Amen? Because they're always around. The son received his joy back. Well, pastor, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. I've been a total wipeout. And I've, I came to Jesus, and I'm saved, but I'm miserable. I refuse to be saved and miserable. What a poor advertisement for Jesus. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Amen? In the world we're living, you know, we had an election, and, and we thought, well, thank God that long nightmare is over. And, and you still walk around, and you're listening to the news, and you're seeing people fearful and whining and crying and wearing safety pins and all kinds of... And you hear discouragement in the lives of people's voices, and you go, really? Are you discouraged? We have joy in the middle of turmoil, even if it doesn't make sense. But we have Christ in the middle of anything that's going crazy around us. You see, some people have just enough religion to be a crank, a grinch. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, get your joy back. No one wants to be around a sour crank, a bad attitude Christian. Tell your neighbor he's preaching to you. Be careful. Okay. <laughs> okay. Do you know why Satan doesn't want you to obtain the joy of the Lord? Watch. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the enemy knows if he can deprive you of joy... He keeps you weakened, anemic, defeated, beaten down, depressed, and you have no joy about your Christian life and the lifestyle God's. But when you regain your joy, you are stronger, you become resilient, you can bounce back when the enemy gives you a setback. You will say, hell will pay for what I went through. I am wiser, I am stronger, I have a greater anointing because of the journey that I've been on. I used to only come to church and sing about the, 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 the theologies of God and the word principles of God's word, I, I would come and sing some worship songs. Now I know what I'm singing about. Now I know who I am worshiping. Now I know in whom I have believed. I know what it means to be lost. I now know what it means to be found. 
and the joy of the Lord is my strength. Say, I'm not stopping until I get my joy back. Your mark of a restored soul, the joy of the Lord. Now, if you're seated by someone and they look like the plum that just came out of the local SunSweet dryer, they're probably not restored, okay? The word joy related to walking with God is spoken 158 times in the Scripture. God's trying to make us understand. Walking with him, he brings his character. One of those characteristics, attributes of God, is joy. Jesus said, your joy no one will take from you. No matter where you find yourself, the joy I planted in you will continue to grow and bear fruit. And no one, no person can ever take it away from you. Well, pastor, you know, at at Calvary Christian Center, they allow certain kinds of people to come to church. Yeah, you are those kinds of people, all of you. (laughs) Because all of us go into the categories of having transgressed, of having sinned, of having iniquity in our hearts. See, Jesus said, the joy I give you, no man takes away. And he said, ask, and you will receive that your joy may be what? Full. So tell your neighbor, full joy. So if you're not full of joy, you're not full of the will of God for your life because the will of God for you is full joy. God wants you to have a joy explosion. That's the Christmas message. We have the best message of all. Yeah, they can sing about Frosty and Rudolph, the red-nosed and snow flakes falling and all That's all great. But we've got the best joyful message of Christmas, no matter who's got another message. That's Christmas. Out of sorrow, out of grief, out of guilt, out of oppression, off the cover of the book of Lamentations, because we walk around, woe is me. We need to receive the joy of the Lord and declare, I may have been through hell, but I made it. Thank you, Lord, by your grace, I made it. Thank God. You say before God, I've been sad all I care to be. I've been through tough times like everybody else, but I've told the devil I'm done with the season of sadness. I've turned the corner, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. You can choose to wallow in pity, wallow in tears, wallow in hurt, or you can rise up, put on the joy of the Lord, and say, you know what? God is in control. He makes all things right. Amen? Amen. Remember what I taught last week? You will show me. You will show me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As long as I choose to walk with God, the joy of his character, the characteristic of joy from God will bleed into my life and heart through his word and by his spirit. But remember, there are three joy robbers at least. And when you lose your joy, usually it's one of these three. Three joy robbers. The fear of what other people think, that's one of them. It'll rob you of your joy. For he, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Anybody joyful over that? So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. 
what can man do to me? You come to the place where you ignore what others think and their critical attitudes. Now, you don't ignore a person of the Lord who brings you truth from God's word to share, but you sure ignore the people with the critical negative spirit. Just ignore it. I don't care what they attempt to do. I care about one thing, pleasing my master. That's the joy of my life. As long as you walk around worried about what other people are saying, you are going to begin to lose your joy. Many live their lives in bondage to what other people say. Christmas is around the corner and worries about family tensions, seeing the weird relatives you don't like. Okay? If you don't watch it, the joy of Christmas is going to evaporate because you're always going to be worried about what somebody's going to do or say, right? Get above all of that this Christmas. Get the joy of the Lord back about what Christmas means and say, he gives me joy. Say to the Grinch in your family, I don't care. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Living life worrying about what other people think. Man, you're just in bondage living like that. And you won't have much joy because you never get to be who God designed you to be. And then the second joy robber, bondage to sin. If you get stuck in the habit of continuing the process of choosing to sin over and over and over, and you get bound by that sin, it'll rob your joy. You won't be able to enjoy the presence of God. You won't be able to enjoy the company of other believers like you should because you're continuing to choose to fall back into a pattern of sinful behavior. It gets into this cycle, and it's, it just ekes the joy right out of your spirit. It also offends and grieves the presence of the Holy Spirit because he's come to live in you, and we're commanded not to grieve him. And we want his full expression of the fruit of the Spirit to be growing in us. The third joy robber, condemnation. It's a joy robber. And what you do, here's the remedy. You begin to repent believing God's word. And you begin to bring it all before Jesus according to the multitude of your tender mercies. The multitude of them. Always remember the tenderness of God's mercies. Always remember how kind God has been to you. How faithful he has been to you. How patient. He has been with you. Oh, my goodness. I've had to go to the Lord and say, you've been far more patient with me than I've ever manifested in my life. Help me to be more like you. And never become hard in your extension or expression of mercy. I forgive you, but I don't like you. I'm only doing this because the Bible says I have to. What What an attitude, huh? God's not sitting there with a lightsaber waiting for you to fail. And then finally, when you repent, he says, well, because of my son's death, I have to forgive you. That's not the heavenly father. No, he has always desired your restoration. Before he formed the foundations of the world, he had already planned your redemption. He sees us. He shows pity on us. He sees the addict crying as he or she shoots themselves up and can't find a way to break out of the bondage and says, I'm not angry. I am extending to you 
tender mercies to bring you back to myself. And the key to this access, David said, the key to finding the tender mercies of the Lord, which David personally experienced when he could have been put to death for what he did, he said, for I acknowledge my transgressions. David was honest with God. He said, I confess and forsake, not hide and lie. As long as you hide and lie and cover up, God cannot send tender mercies. But the moment you acknowledge your sins, I am guilty. Not this attitude, well, if I did anything that upset you or offended you. No, you know you did it. You know you transgressed against them, and you did it on purpose, and you meant to do it. I acknowledge my sins. And watch the other key for restored joy. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have offended you, the Creator. David knew he had to square it with God. One-on-one, not blame anybody else. He took full responsibility. Notice he did not blame Bathsheba. Lord, if she hadn't been parading around naked, if she had clothes on. No, David didn't blame anybody. David said, I'm not blaming anyone. I sinned. It's on me. I take the responsibility. I'm not blaming my upbringing. I'm not blaming my background. I'm not blaming my dysfunctional family. No, I am guilty alone. God will bless an honest heart. He loves that. Then David says, another key to restoring joy, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. This plant grows in Israel, and I so want to go back. And I want to visit that place. I love that place. It's like home. If you touch that plant, if you ask your tour guide to let you just put a little sprig of that on the tip of your tongue, you will taste how bitter hyssop is. And David said, purge me with hyssop. It leaves an aftertaste, and it lingers. It doesn't, like, just go away. It, it hangs around. You've got to get, get rid of it. It lingers after you've tasted it. It means he, his application for us is this. When you see that situation coming your way again, you say, I don't want that again. David said, when you forgive me, leave just enough of the aftertaste. Leave just enough of the bitter taste. So whenever I face that scenario again, I won't be stupid and I won't be tempted. I will have learned. Leave just enough of that taste. If ever I get around that situation again, if the wicked ever entice me again, if I face that moment again, my taste buds will remind me of the taste of bitterness and pain. And if it looks good for a moment, I will recall the bitterness and the pain of that sin. Keep some hyssop in my life so I won't step there again. You've worked your way back from transgressions and sin and iniquity. Now there's restored joy. Make me hear joy and gladness, he prays. Then he goes on and says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then David says something so powerful. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Man, David connects, restore to me the joy of your salvation, to then I will teach sinners and see them converted. He's saying there are no conversions 
unless there is joy in my witness. The enemy knows this. So if he can't stop you from hearing the gospel, the good news of salvation, the way he knows to prevent your salvation, he will run you into a joyless Christian witness. And you've probably seen a few of them. They yell at sinners. They condemn everybody. You're going to hell doing that. They got negative to say to everybody and anybody they run into about they're not serving God. And listen to me, he nullifies your witness when he takes the joy out of it. When you no longer love and there's no joy expressed because you're not telling the truth in love, you're just telling the truth, right? And you're not framing it and basking it and bathing it in the love and the joy of the Lord. You have nullified, neutralized the ability you have to bring someone to Jesus. The enemy wants you to walk around with guilt and condemnation for the rest of your life. So listen, joyless Christians don't win the lost. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Calvary, let's regain our joy. Let's allow the joy of Christmas to bleed through the attempt of our culture to steal our season. It's our season. It's our season. We need to remember that although that you know, there are wonderful things associated with the Christmas season. The most important message of all is the simple message of God coming to us, God with us. Because too often, even the songs, as sweet and melodious as they can be, they want to only talk about and sing about the joy of Christmas Day without mentioning the joy of Christmas Day is the coming of Jesus. The joy of Christmas Day and that it may be snowing, the joy of Christmas Day and that we have presents under the tree, the joy of Christmas Day and that we get this specific meal and family traditions, and those are all well and good, but not at the expense of Jesus on Christmas Day. Christmas belongs to Jesus. Capitalize on the message of Jesus. In Luke 15, it's the lost and found chapter of the New Testament. The lost sheep, the lost son, the lost coin. Every story ends with joy because what was once lost is found. So he says in Luke 15, 6, talking about the lost sheep, rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. See how God's heart responds? And that which has been lost is found. Rejoice with me. When the coin was lost and later found, the application Jesus makes, he says, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then when the son has come back and been fully restored, he said, we should make merry and be glad. So we say, Merry Christmas. There ought to be joy in our expression. And God even speaks to people who have lost everything, like some of our displaced brothers and sisters all over the world. We stretched ourselves a little last month to help Hal Donaldson and Convoy of Hope with a project that he wrote us about, these displaced Christians, and uh, they're persecuted. 
everything they've owned is gone to help them. Those are our brothers, our sisters. Let's see what we can do to make a difference. In Hebrews 10, God describes these kind of people. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. This was an attribute, an attitude that those who were suffering for preaching the gospel, they joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. They weren't attached to that. They were attached to him. See, God is speaking of those who have learned contentment, that their joy is not in the accumulation of stuff. In troubling times, does God see that we exhibit that kind of joy in our lives? He has given us this truth that sustains us in no matter what circumstance we face, that as long as I've got him, as long as I'm in right relationship, his joy continues to bleed into my spirit that enables me to step over anything that comes my way. These things, Jesus said, I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. May we understand we're not to be content to just be forgiven. I want the joy of the Lord to be restored in my home, in my family, in my workplace, in my walk with God. I refuse to be saved and miserable. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Come on, stand to your feet and bless the Lord right now. Take a moment and express that joy. And thanks.